Public Space Travel is a leftist, anti-capitalist podcast of disgruntled academics, video gamers, and friends. Our belief is that knowledge should be made more accessible and be used for anti-oppression and non-hierarchical revolutionary ends. You can support what we do at patreon.com forward slash public space travel and reach out to us at publicspacetravel at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 208-502-1406. Now, on to the show. Hi folks, it's Lazarus Wolf. Today, in this episode, we're going to be discussing some current examples of the consequences of systemic inequity and the intensification of violence and xenophobia against communities of color due to COVID-19 here in the United States. In particular, we will connect elements of critical race theory, which offers us one such race-conscious approach to understanding educational inequality and identifying potential solutions. We do want to affirm that there are more specificities here to critical race theory that are equally important and necessary for the analysis, some of these being lat crit, black crit, indigenous crit, and so forth. However, we can only fit so much here in this short podcast episode. So we will provide some links for to some further educational resources on critical race theory, which we'll abbreviate here forth as CRT in the show notes. So thank you. Enjoy the show. Public space travel. Public space travel. And so on and so on. I can't help but believe that in the future, we'll see throughout the world an increasing trend toward the next logical step. We achieve full communism. Public space travel. Space travel. Welcome to Public Space Travel. I'm Lazarus Wolf. And I'm Lucy. I'm Lycan. Rayito de Luz. I'm Marks. On April 8th, New York City public advocate Jumani D. Williams released a statement on the racial disparity in the impact of the COVID 19 public health crisis after the city and state released data showing the fatality fatality rates of the virus by race. Uh, For those that don't know, the public advocate position is a non-voting member of the New York City Council with the right to introduce and co-sponsor legislation. And uh, one of the main duties is providing oversight for city agencies, investigating citizens' complaints about city services, and making proposals to address perceived shortcomings or failures of those services. In their statement, uh, Williams said, quote, The data we see today confirms and reinforces what we've seen over years and decades of systemic inequities. These ingrained injustices have always been there, often ignored by many in power. But these numbers show the harsh truth. The bias has a body count. From both the city and the state, the data released consistently shows that New Yorkers killed by COVID-19 are disproportionately Black or Latino. In New York City, over 60%. But even these statistics are incomplete and undercounted. City data shows that it's as high as 37% of fatalities, race is unknown. As I've said, we need to know the racial breakdown in rates of testing and of positive confirmed cases to find and correct these clear failures. The coronavirus may not discriminate, but the response or lack of a response clearly has. Williams goes on to conclude in their statement, and in our response to and recovery from this pandemic, we need to do the hard work of addressing the injustices and inequities in our system that we have been further exposed and exacerbated by this crisis. We cannot sanitize a history of neglecting communities of more color, cannot mask the resource inequality and inherent biases that spurred the spread of the virus, cannot undo the human cost of these failures, 
but now we can work to strengthen communities and save lives. In the midst of the COVID-19, communities of color have been disproportionately um, impacted by this virus, this pandemic. And in particular, uh, according to an article uh, by Kenya Evelyn at The Guardian that came out on April 8th, uh, titled, It's a Racial Justice Issue, Black Americans are Dying in Greater Numbers from COVID-19. Um, Evelyn discusses how in Chicago, which is 30% Black, Black Americans account for 70% of all coronavirus cases in the city and more than half of the state's deaths. In Detroit, which is almost 80% Black, it has the most concentrated coronavirus cases in the state of Michigan, and more than uh, the death rate in the city accounts for 40% of overall deaths in the state. We want to kind of discuss some of the reasons uh, behind this through the critical race theory lens. Um, some of the reasons that Evelyn um, provides is that there's a healthcare desert, uh, which, if you're unfamiliar with that term, uh, healthcare desert essentially means areas with few or no primary care physicians. Experts have also pointed out um, that the initial research showing a high prevalence of COVID 19 among those suffering from obesity high blood pressure and diabetes. These are risk factors that are more common among black Americans. Um, the virus is known to take a harsher toll on those with underlying health issues. And many hospitals are only testing those admitted for critical care. A um, couple other reasons just real quick is also only 20% of black workers reported being eligible to work from home compared to uh, about 30% of their white counterparts, according to the economic policy Institute that they cited. Mm -hmm. And what it really comes down to is when white communities get sick, um, which is, this is a quoting a state representative, David Bowen um, of Michigan. Uh, correction, this is the first Wisconsin lawmaker to be diagnosed with the virus. We in the black community are threatened to die from the same sickness with lack of health care, often leaving us to self-diagnose. Uh, so we want to kind of discuss the legacy of systemic racism that has really exacerbated the impacts of this pandemic here, um, specifically for communities of color. Uh, so if I may make two comments about uh, the, the public advocate and, and we'd like to hear, I would love to hear people's opinions and, and, and thoughts about this, but there's two things that bother me about uh, the situation. Uh, I mean, multiple things that bother me about the situation, but this one specifically is that, um, and we've seen this, time and time again where um it is not just new york it is not just detroit it's not just michigan everywhere where we look states and federal government they're not releasing the identity of uh, who are those impacted mostly by uh, COVID 19. and so it begs the question why is it that governments are not releasing that information then it made me question too why why is the public advocate is the one releasing the information this person is i mean i want to thank this person for for releasing the information but but new york has elected officials people that have been voted by um, the community but but they're not the ones coming out and saying hey we see that um black folks are being more affected by the situation and and here is what we want to do to solve that it has to be a non-voting member why is that the public officials are not coming out and and um owning the situation and i think it goes back to that uh deep-seated 
racial inequalities that we've been talking about um, that you mentioned in, in that article. Yeah, I think this really speaks to uh, the critical, uh, I think we can better understand this with the critical race theory um, component, which is whiteness is property. Specifically, uh, whiteness is property in claims that whiteness has an intangible property interest. It speaks of how the legal system protected a vested interest in white skin. Um, and therefore, whiteness automatically carries with it greater economic, political, and social security. I think there's something to stress here that history is a long and connected process that isn't severed at all. So the present is connected to the past and it will influence and has influenced um, kind of trajectories of where we're going. Essentially, that historical legacy of racism, what I mean by that is systemic oppression and inequity um, has continued and continues. Um, I think the value of using critical race theory, uh, specifically this concept of whiteness as property here, uh, is really to better understand the rationale, as you were saying, why it's always kind of been this way, why it continues to be this way, and why it hasn't um, changed. Uh, essentially, these are structures of white supremacy um, that have been put in place and continue to be in place, and therefore they protect whiteness, and hence we can ask questions like why are healthcare deserts a thing, but let alone why are they, why do they exist predominantly in you know non-white communities, basically in communities of color? Mm -hmm. There, there's the other thing too about just like uh, I know in Chicago, I forget the the term for it, but you know there's convenience stores or like grocery stores, you know they're they're not as abundant. Um, Food deserts, I, yeah. Food deserts, yeah. So it, it means that when people do have to go to the grocery stores in this, I mean, always, but particularly in this predicament, they are all, like everyone is in the same spot, packed together. I mean, it's already hard enough, like right now, when you go to the grocery store, you know, because people don't have work or they're working from home. So there's a lot more people in the grocery stores at all hours of the day. But when you especially have one grocery store for miles and miles and miles and miles, you're just packing people in to one one space and you know and that on top of the fact that you know you don't have medical workers readily available also in that same space yeah absolutely yeah in the just to go off further to that food desert point um like imagine like well i don't even say imagine i mean the situation for um many communities is that you go to the liquor store to purchase you know fresh yeah quote unquote like, fresh uh, produce yeah yeah and so the point being here that uh like lack of proper access to what would otherwise be available in other communities it's a continual lack of access it's it's like like you're saying it's it's not a new thing it's just a problem that has greater consequences in this moment. Uh, and this um, if I if if I may add, and I think it was, it was mm -hmm. something that I think all of us in our conversation are are uh, alluding to is the, the concept of uh, intersectionality in in critical race theory. Yeah. So for for our listeners out there, so intersectionality um, coined by um, 
uh, scholar named uh, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw. Um, and so she's out of, um, I believe, somewhere in uh, California, in one of the, the schools there. But, but uh, she stated that um, intersectionality is the concept where um, people's identities uh, combine to create something larger. And so, um, so when we talk about African-Americans, Black folks in um, New York and Michigan and Chicago, it is not just their race that intersects and it's not just their race that, that comes and complicates their situation. Uh, it is all those other identities that they, they, they have. So we're talking about here people that have uh, low socioeconomic status, so they might struggle to find the already diminishing resources that dominant society has pre, uh, created or made available for them. We're also t- uh, talking about uh, folks that cannot afford to stay at home um, and wait this to, to pass because if they stay at home, um, they don't have anything to eat. Um, they don't have ways to support themselves. And we hear about uh, the federal government passing this uh, stimulus package that we don't even know when it's going to get there. And if you really think about it, how much is $1,200 is going to help in places like New York and, and Chicago? Uh, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but rent is expensive. Cost of living is expensive. And so uh, all these things that we talk about, all the things, uh, all these things that we've been talking about so far is is those multiple identities, uh, intersecting identities tend to to complicate the situation a little more, uh, a, a lot more, I would say, uh, for, for the individuals that we're talking about. Yeah, I think this issue comes up in just how people are treated by healthcare too. I know like thinking of women of color particularly who go in before the pandemic, but also during it with symptoms. Um, and I think are just often dismissed as, I actually have a friend who's a white woman, um, but who was told that she was just having a panic attack, um, went into the ER, she's tested positive for COVID-19 since, but just that total disregard for a person to know their own body is really exposed, I think, particularly during the pandemic. Um, And so, again, that intersectionality of how people are treated based on race and based on gender um, is coming to light more than ever. Absolutely. I think that ties really well in with um, the next critical race theory uh, component, which is interest convergence. So interest convergence, uh, according to critical race theory, was um, kind of coined by Derek Bell. And this was in the context of the Brown v. Board of Education, but really we could utilize this into other areas. And I think it does a really superb job of examining the interests of basically those in power, the elites, the dominant discourse, et cetera. Um, But according to Derek Bell, uh, Derek uh, Bell had said, the interest of blacks in achieving racial equality will be accommodated only when it converges with the interests of whites. Um, and this wasn't something that is necessarily like talked about just for CRT, uh, critical race theory. Uh, even Malcolm X was talking about it. Um, and also it's also kind of understood uh, not just as interest convergence, but also kind of understood as white self-interest principle. Uh, but Malcolm X in 1964, uh, when talking during the time of the civil rights movement, he was discussing white Americans. He wrote that, quote, they don't try to eliminate an evil because it's evil or because it's illegal. 
or because it's immoral, they eliminate an evil only when it threatens their existence. And so I think to tie that back, there isn't, um, there seem, there is a, a diminished or even lack of in, of interest convergence for basically removing uh, like food deserts um, or uh, healthcare deserts. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually an interest convergence with having inequity, right? It supports the white supremacist institutions um, that are currently um, and have held long in place. I think it also, in a way, supports capitalism. Absolutely. To not, not to go off topic, but just... No, it's connected. Uh, yeah. It's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because like, one of the things I feel oh. like... Oh, no, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that one of the things that I have noticed with all of these issues coming up right now is that I, I don't... I see a lot of, you know, what I kind of call, like... Uh, white liberal tears uh, on the mainstream media where they go, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then, you know, then they have a little frowny face and then it cuts to commercial and then that's kind of it. That's yep. sort of all you get. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, they did a black and white montage of like, like pic- people taking pictures of what they're, what it's like being, uh, to quote SpongeBob, inside uh, during the pandemic. <laughs> And there was like one with like a little like baby and you could see like a black and white, you know, baby booty. And like, it looks like everybody's just, you know, staying inside and being healthy and safe and having Mm -hmm. fun. And I'm, it just seems like a very like white, like liberal, like idea. And didn't Cuomo, like, correct me if I'm wrong. We need to like fact check this, but I'm pretty, I I heard that Cuomo, Cuomo and like New York city, everybody has like a free subscription to like that meditation app. Oh. Is that like the answer to like mental health during all this is like, just meditate. Yeah. That's all you need. It's hard. All <laughs> these recommendations. And then I think with that, the thing that's really concerning is there's all these recommendations, you know, stay inside, eat well, exercise when you can, as if you live in a place where you can like go to the sidewalk and be six feet apart. Um, right, right. And just the scorn when people don't or can't follow that. Um, mm-hmm. I think it just pairs with this kind of self-righteous, like, ignorance um and sometimes cases well intending but also just Mm -hmm. like a total i think disregard for other people's realities yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think uh i think it definitely takes um it comes from a perspective of whiteness as like the default and then like says like do this and do this and it's like um basically what what williams was talking about like there's so much inequity uh, for these for communities of color that um, it's kind of ridiculous to ask um, some of this from the communities when they don't have access to these resources and historically have been um, disenfranchised and oppressed. Let's be real here. And like you said, with the, I forget how you phrased it, liberal white tears. Is yeah, that the, is that the coined phrase? White liberal tears. <laughs> I didn't get the order right. Um, but just this, like I've heard the term crisis of pity. Just this whole like, oh, that's so sad for those people. And just like this very top down kind of response. Mm -hmm. So how to be more, I don't know. I don't know if compassion is the word, like to recognize how our identities are like intertwined in a way. It's not just this separate group of people who have nothing to do with me as a middle white class person. So how to like have that connection, this I like the term like simultaneous identification and disidentification with the other, like 
but to at least have more than just sorry um, to offer. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's um, it's it's sort of like for it's sort of like uh, what's the phrase? Part of the course for for especially media pundits to kind of like just touch on things but not really address things and not really make it so that the public is actually fully informed in a way where change mm-hmm. can actually happen mm-hmm. um like you know examples like you know when the news when they show you know oh there's this you know poor black boy who had to walk you know six miles to school and then someone you know decided to give him a car and it's you know he did that for two years and you know, it's sort of like the celebration of him trying to go to school regardless of his situation. And there's no dissemination of why did he have to do that in the first place? Yeah. And um, this myth of meritocracy is in that part mm-hmm. of CRT too, like highlighting the stories of the rags to riches. Like if only yes. you try hard enough, this will happen to you. Um, yeah. Um, if I, I, I really quickly, I want to go back to, um, this concept of of change um and yeah um so um earlier i was reading an article by uh, milner pierman and uh, mcgee about um interest convergence and and i found a quote that i think connects really well to this but also um made me reflect a lot in in the current stage uh, where we are uh but they said Change is often purposefully or purposeful, skillful, and even subconsciously slow, mm-hmm. and at the will and design of white people, those who make up the rules historically and change them as they find them necessary, yeah. depending on what is necessary for them to maintain their power, their perceived dominance, and their status quo. Um, and so... I don't think until white folks start dying, uh, we're going to see a change in how, in how, uh, in how the, the COVID-19 is addressed, uh, right now, you know, uh, going back to like this pity sort of like, uh, concern for people dying, but, uh, there is no actual actions. There is not actual things being done that will address their, their situation. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's like an accurate observation. Um, if it was white communities that had lack of access to healthcare, lack of access to like healthy and affordable food, lack of access to, you know, really it's our basic human needs. You would see that shit change so fucking quick. And middle-class white people, yes. I think, because mm-hmm. there's yeah, yes. that intersection as well. Absolutely. Basically more Tom Hanks. We need more Tom Hanks cases. Who didn't even run a fever, <laughs> um, as I have heard. <laughs> oh, wow. It was an anomaly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Must yeah. be nice. There's a quote I really <laughs> like um, from, it's called The Undercommons. Um, it's by Stefano Harney and Fred Moten. And wh- the quote I love is, um, they're talking about just this, the white man's burden. Like, I want to help because I have pity. Um, I don't need your help. I just need you to realize that this shit is killing you too, however much more softly. Mm. And I try to think of that, Mm -hmm. how it's not to say like, oh, we're all in the same boat. We're all the same. We're all in this in the same way. But to say like, we are not exempt. um, Yes. 
So to still have some kind of, I guess that is kind of um, the interest convergence of like, could that be used strategically, I guess? But yeah, the phrase we're all in this together hasn't, it just hasn't, it's sort of tone deaf, similar to the Imagine video mm. by Gal Gadot. Oh, Because like, it's yeah. just not true. We're not all, look, we're not on the same page. We're not all in the same situation. Yeah. Uh, uh, th for that reminded me, uh, sorry to, uh, to butt in, but uh, it reminded me, I don't know, do you... Um, did you see uh, how Madonna was uh, talking about uh, the great equalizer out of her bathtub? Bathtub. Out of her bath bathtub. Like she was, she was taking a bath, uh, and she posted a um, she posted an Instagram story saying how COVID nineteen was the great equalizer, um, and that. Oh, yeah. If anything, it had made everyone equal. Huh. Obviously, for obvious reasons, that that story didn't stay long on Instagram because everybody just be like, hey, how can you speak of the great equalizer when A, you're a rich white person taking like a bath in like what appears to be like some like milk water, milk, milk water with like rose petals uh, floating around. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> And a that, and then two is like people. It's people. People. COVID nineteen is affecting people differently. There, yeah. It's not like yeah. It's I not, that, if though. I find that, I'll send it. Yeah, I almost feel like it should have stayed so we can critique it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that though. Like this is the disease that doesn't discriminate. Um, and yeah, that's what I hear most often. Like it. It's it, an equal opportunity virus. It kind of. <laughs> That really reminds me of like, like that's some serious like drinking of the ideology to like make that claim, like totally be like, oh yeah, it's totally a great equalizer. It doesn't care about what color you are. It's just indiscriminate. And it's like, that's totally overlooking basically what CRT saying and what Williams was saying here is that there's this historical legacy of inequity, mm -hmm. meaning you got like, not you, but like the system, you know, the, our society, the United States of America um, really the world, but like United States of America that we're focusing on these, these disproportionately, like you, like communities of color, uh, are at a huge disadvantage because of access to resources, right. Um, compared to, uh, white communities in particular. And so it really overlooks like the systemic oppression. She's not the planning to sell her bathwater like that one <laughs> streamer ego, right? She was selling the water. I mean, I'm pretty that. sure that if she were to offer it, I'm sure there will be people buying it. <laughs> that's like some Gwyneth Paltrow shit. Like, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Give it a nice beer name. Like, what is it? Goop? Is that her thing? That title? That's her like company, isn't it? I think so. That sounds bland enough for her. <laughs> Give a sexy but, name uh, to the bathwater, you know? <laughs> at least try try do some yeah. of that creative energy um but but go, going along with what we we're just you know talking about how this you know affects all of us differently like i kind of want to move on to the uh you know the ice immigration how covid19 is affecting border border camps and also i mean jails too 
Um, so on April 3rd, Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman interviewed Laura Molinar. She is the founder and executive director of the group Dreams Without Borders de Tejas. Sueños Sin Fronteras de Tejas, a Latinx woman of color-led collective providing support to immigrant and asylee women. Yeah. I didn't know that was a word, actually, asylee. Um, I think it's like children, the plural. That makes sense. Uh, children and families in South Texas. They discussed how detention facilities are spaces where COVID-19 could spread with catastrophic outcomes. Thus, there is a call for releasing detainees and these detention centers ought to be shut down. Um, during this interview, uh, they discussed that as of 4-10, uh, April 10th, on the ICE website, there has been 61 confirmed cases in ICE custody. Uh, some may have been released. 19 confirmed cases among ICE employees working in ICE detention facilities. And 67 confirmed cases amid ICE employees who are not assigned to the detention facilities. And on April 8th, Ashoka Mukpo... I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Staff reporter for the ACLU released an article on how 80 people housed at the Tacoma, Washington facility have gone on hunger strike to raise attention to the danger they say they face from the pandemic. Yeah, this uh, this is like another element of communities of color that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. are highly at risk because of the confined uh, spaces, but also the lack of treatment, um, basically from the state. Let's be real here. The state is mm-hmm. intentionally not providing resources to help those that aren't either protecting or benefiting whiteness. Um, when it comes down to it through a CRT lens, when I was reading this article and watching the clip, you can see on democracynow.com or org. I was thinking about how this connects to interest convergence, this CRT topic. And it remembers uh, interest convergence is about uh, change doesn't happen unless it benefits whites. Um, I think that there is, again, a lack of interest convergence here. The only reason I could think of potentially would be it would be protecting ICE agents. So like releasing detainees uh, would, I don't know, somehow like, lessen the risk of ICE agents getting COVID-19. Um, that, I, I, that'd be the only reasoning I could think of that it would benefit whiteness here. Otherwise, it would benefit them to keep them you know, locked up, keep them detained. Um, yeah. It's like right now, um, I guess right now in Sweden, um, apparently their, their way of dealing with, with COVID-19 was to only have the people to not completely shut down but to instead only allow those who were less at risk to contract the virus or at least be affected by it um to just go about their day as normal of course that hasn't worked out well for them they're now reporting like a spike in cases because as we know the virus it's a virus it spreads you know you can have the virus and not know it and you can give it to somebody you can touch a surface and leave it there and someone can pick it up. It's, it's, I don't, I don't, it's, it's amazing to me how, how we have to, you know, go over basic um, science that we all learn in high school about how diseases and germs work uh, throughout this, because as ice, ha- I mean, 
you have these detainees who should not be detained. You have ICE still. It's not an essential service. It should not be in there. But there are people who believe, I guess, what they're doing. So they keep working their jobs as ICE um, officers. You know, but like kind of like we're saying, as the disease spreads and as these agents get infected, I mean, maybe then there will be the virus will perform action for us. But but it's just one of those things where why does this have to happen? Why do why do people have to die? Why do people of color have to suffer? Because this isn't it's not even this is a race thing, but this isn't a race thing in the sense that. This is just pure like science. This is going to kill everybody. Like you can't pretend that, oh, I'll just forget about you because you're brown. So I don't have to think about it. Uh, sorry, I'm going on a tangent here, but it's just, mm. I just don't understand how, how this is not like something that hasn't raised more eyebrows. And, yeah. you know, like a lot of people have been saying this, like ICE is not an essential service. It should be shut, shut down. ISIS never should, should have existed in the first place, but this whole idea of like trying to maintain these people in these um, conditions, these, these already bad conditions, but like, you know, the idea that, Oh, we should keep up this job that doesn't need to be. And then also, I mean, now I, it's weird because now I sort of feel bad for the ice agents because they're also going to maybe die from this stupidity. Well, um, <laughs> if, I mean, if if if, uh, if you if we go back to, I don't know, a few months before COVID nineteen was even on our radar, there were multiple examples of uh, children dying of diseases in the custody of um, ICE. I don't remember if you recall, but there were a few from uh, Central America that were in custody or in ICE, and um, they either didn't receive the proper uh, medical attention or they received it late or whatever the case might be. Um, but I mean, call me naive or whatever, but I, I mean, I think people call, uh, undocumented immigrants are going to keep dying in detention facilities of COVID-19 or whatever else comes along and they're not going to be released. Mm. That's just me. Uh, and then the other part too, that I want to go back to, um, interest interest conversions about um, that maybe maybe if uh, ICE uh, agents starts di- uh, start dying maybe they'll release uh, undocumented immigrants. Um, but then I thought about is like how do we how does how much does American dominance cares about ICE agents? They're like the disposable part of 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 the enforcing arm of of immigration. Um, uh, they are just tools of American domination. And if they start dying, they're going to keep replacing them. But I, I, I don't think that is the type of white folks that American dominance cares about. Um, yeah. There is, even even with like whiteness, there is this, there is this hierarchy of what what's white and what matters the most. Um, and I don't think ICE agents matter that much to and American And who are dominance. we protecting? I think that's been coming mm-hmm. up so much with, or what mm-hmm. are we protecting? I mean, ageism is another part of this intersectionality. And even though we know that it's not necessarily true, we can't necessarily know who's a vulnerable population or who isn't vulnerable as much. Um, 
because it can mm-hmm. affect anyone. Um, but just this idea of sacrifice, I see come up so strategically and in really troublesome ways. Um, mm-hmm. Like um, Lieutenant Governor, um, what's his Patrick, I think Dan Patrick in Texas yes. basically said yes. like, you know, if I had the chance to lay down my life to protect the America that my children love so much, I would mm. do it as an elderly person, he said. But just this idea of you can like you're expendable, um, black bodies, brown bodies, um, older people are expendable. And then when they die, their legacy will be carried on as sacrifice for the war of um, the U.S. economy. <laughs> I hear that. Um, and I hear people rally behind that. And I think it's really like it's so blatant that we are caring about labor and capitalism and whiteness over lives. But somehow it's still appealing to some. So. I mean, hot take here, maybe a little, little too hot take, but hot take. Uh, what was the governor, Patrick? Just go for it. Go outside. Do stay it. outside. Do your thing. He's a lieutenant governor. Yeah. You know, yeah. do your thing. Nice to know yeah, you. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Is these there's, the people who are speaking the loudest with this uh, my mentality? It's just like, uh, oh well, what's the phrase actually? Um, it's truly a capitalist death cult. The philosopher Alan Watts had this thing about um, when someone can is convinced that the Earth is flat, you should go. Oh, okay, well, why don't we go visit the edge of the Earth? Yeah, step off it. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't these Aren't yeah. these some of the same people who are talking about or are so concerned about like death panels for like Medicare for all stuff? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the fucking Supreme Court who says from their remote decision that Wisconsin voters need to show up in person. Um, oh my God. This, uh, this country is truly a death cult. It's kind of like, so I watch Survivor, which I hate that I watch because it's the epitome of everything wrong with the world. But um, <laughs> Jeff fucking Probst, who loves to like berate the survivors in their challenge and tell them what they should do and give them advice. And I'm always like, you do it. Um, like, I'd like <laughs> to see how long he lasts. But I think it's still like the people making these super righteous claims are the people who are middle class or upper class and are saying this from Zoom behind their computer in their yeah. million dollar home. Um, it's just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is these are the people that don't have to leave their house. Yeah. Uh, that if they get sick, they can just walk into a hospital and get the attention yeah. that they need. Um, absolutely. Yeah, or even like hire like a, I don't know, like a medical Insta shopper. Yeah, Personal. you can, <laughs> can Instacart like a doctor to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fast and flexible, please. You know? <laughs> uh. Um, I do want to, um, since we're in the topic of interest conversions and um, what uh, a um, essential worker is, mm-hmm. um, and since we were talking about immigration, um, I I saw an article this morning um, on NPR. Um, uh, so as you know, uh, farm workers um, are one of those uh, segments of the population um, that have been deemed um, essential workers. And throughout this pandemic, they have been asked to continue working um, as if nothing is happening and uh, with little to no protection whatsoever. Um, And so 
I came across this article. So the title of the article, it says, uh, White House uh, seeks to lower farm worker pay to help agriculture industry. Um, and at first I'm like, well, how low can you get? Are they gonna like, are they gonna start paying for working now? Because like they already get shit for work. Um, yeah. So um, if um, you're familiar with how farm workers work, they don't get paid hourly. They get paid by how much they they collect, uh, how much they harvest, um, and so I have many students that that their parents or their uh, themselves do that, and uh, they already have to like uh, struggle to like earn some money, um, and now we're at this point where like oh uh, let's uh, let's uh, bring some farm workers from other areas and let's pay them less. Um, and so that reminded me of like, again, interest convergence, because um, if we weren't in a situation where like white Americans are dying because or don't have access to to proper food, we wouldn't be looking at importing cheap labor from parts of Mexico and Central America. Um, so that wouldn't happen. And then two, um, the concept about intersectionality. Uh, I mean, these are folks that are undocumented or uh, mm -hmm. folks that already are at low socioeconomic status. And so they they will get impacted more heavily than than folks that are middle class and non-white. Yeah. And I think uh, isn't even like that stimulus check that Trump is supposedly like going to send out to everybody. Like there's limitations of who can get it. And yeah. uh, a very yes. large portion of our labor workforce undocumented um, workers are, they're not going to, from, uh, from my understanding, many, if not all, but many at least will not. Yeah. You, you have to have a valid social number to, mm -hmm. to get the stimulus check. Yeah. Uh, and even if you have a valid social number, you have to be a, what do they call it? Non-resident alien or something like that. I thought I saw on the IRS <laughs> website. I might be wrong. We'll have to like double check. It this. was there. It wasn't the IRS website. Okay. Yeah. Cause I saw like also if you file these certain forms and a couple of them were NR and it means like non-resident, like you're not able to right. get it. Yes. But, uh, right. Frustrating. Yeah. That's just like all, all of this again, this is, these are things that have been issues. They're just heightened issues. And you know, of course, along with all of this, there is also the, the rise of hate crimes and xenophobia. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, real quickly, I also wanted to say just, I think just yesterday as well, just to top off this whole topic, um, the Surgeon General uh, told America in a live briefing, he told, uh, when he addressed the issue of people of color being disproportionately affected by COVID-19, he advised that people of color should avoid alcohol and drugs to protect themselves against the coronavirus. <laughs> what? Um, Surgeon General Jerome Adams, he said... Um, oh, I found it. Yes. Yeah, he said, we need you to do this. If not for yourself, then for your abuela. Do it for your granddaddy. Do it for your big mama. Do it for your papa. What? What? Yes, it's, so, a, it's a thing. <laughs> can, can white people use drugs and alcohol? Is that okay? Is that like well, the he inference? only said he only yeah. said black people. So ah, he, yeah. It's see, 
liquor stores and dispensaries are only um what is it called essential um, essential businesses for white people <laughs> <laughs> and if you're a person of color don't do any of that wow yeah he he, he kind of tried to walk it back by saying i didn't mean to be offensive um i was just uh say you know uh what was it the uh, he's everybody should absolutely avoid alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. And that language, like Big Mama, was not meant to be offensive. That language is what we use in my family. Uh, but if you watch the video, uh, it doesn't sound like that's something that he says. Like, he sounds like when he's saying these things, he sounds like he's never said these words in his life. Yeah. It's very like he's also just an uncomfortable person to watch. So, um, Sounds like it. But yeah, so that's just that's just the start of of this whole topic about the rise of hate and uh, xenophobia. There's a a lot of oh, I mean, a lot of stuff people probably already know now with the you know where, where do we start? Uh, the Chinese virus, the Kung flu. Oh god. Uh, that Trump throws around. Um, and when questioned, he he's like, no, it's not a it's not it's not a problem, and deflects and is like, you're a terrible. Hmm terrible reporter shame on you yep i don't think it's racist at all nope i think what do you say i think chinese people will agree with me because it comes from china and then there's people like uh alex jones who is just like um basically supporting that idea and then saying like yeah the spanish flute came from spain it actually didn't fucking come from spain like that's bullshit so again we know there's racist people in the world it's just it somehow it is a little bit shocking that it's like magnified that people have i guess part of i don't know if part of it is like people are just so scared they need somebody to blame and so they're more willing to buy into the racist stereotypes and things like that just to make themselves feel better and have a sense of grounding in all of this you know, it's it's really baffling to me that people like even choose to be racist or xenophobic at a time like this because again, this is a virus. It is not it had nothing to do with race or religion or anything like that. It's it's gonna get you if it's gonna get you, regardless of what you believe. So I mean, it just it's just like it's I haven't had I haven't come across anyone like this personally in my life, but I just when I see the arguments and the things that people are saying uh, and, you know, believing, buying into what Trump is saying and his administration is saying, the kind of phrasing they're using, it's, it's like um, talking to children and, and trying to get them to calm down and, and trying to just be like, you know, again, like I try to, I try very hard to go, how, how, how can this make sense? How is it somebody does this? chooses this you know you want to be like don't do this thing don't do this racist thing you're about to do please don't do this but i don't know i'm kind of at a loss for words right now because i just i'm just so like just like appalled frustrated angered and just you know mm-hmm. it's it's just the height not i don't know if it's the height it's hard i don't know where the peak is there's just so much stupidity involved in this as well i do i do think to make it clear though like and tie it back to uh, Williams um, that we talked about earlier, the statement about inequity. Um, mm. It's not like, it's not just individual 
so that are racist, like that's, it's definitely like a, a way to not look at the overarching problems that continue to perpetuate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The racist systems. That's true. Right. The individual choices discourse. I think there's still this, um, like thinking again of all the intersections, people want like good people and the market and the DNC to save them. Like oh God. none of that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, or maybe collective good people, but you know, it's not. Well, yeah. I guess I, I have little faith in working within the system in that way of like, yeah. Uh, at least if you're not in, what was it? Wisconsin. It's not, it's, it's, it's vote or die, but it's, it's like vote and die potentially <laughs> instead, but uh, maybe it's too dark. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of um, calls to action that are going on currently, even in the midst of the COVID-19 mm-hmm. um, pandemic. There's general strikes, rent strikes, labor strikes, um, just to name a few, such as the, if you go, if you check out Black Agenda Report, they're calling for a general strike um, of no work, no shopping on Friday on May 1st, um, as well as non-compete, which is another leftist group um bread tube yeah basically that's connecting in with bread tube uh with american johnson and luna uh, among others as well but they're calling for a general strike and they have a website set up and they're collaborating with a multitude of various organizations but you can check it out at genstrike.org that's g-e-n-s-t-r-i-k-e.org um hopefully we can have them on or we can go on their platform and discuss it further um, but in the midst of this too, like we definitely want to call the need for building community, nurturing relationships, mutual aid, but also direct action. And there, like I mentioned a couple, uh, there's a multitude of various organizations and resources. Um, a couple in particular, the Mutual Aid Disaster Relief Fund, definitely if you're able to support them, as well as um, what's going on in uh new york uh with rikers there's a you know large prison that is inevitably going to cause you know i mean it's it's basically a a death sentence and potentially and uh there's an emergency release fund uh specifically for the trans community to essentially like get them get get them out of there and protect them um so if you go to emergencyreleasefund.com you know, you can support saving lives. Yeah. So if you check in, uh, the DSA has a lot of local chapters. Um, what's the, oh, what's the DSA too? Oh, the DSA democratic socialists of America. You just, uh, go to, I believe it's DSA.org. Nope. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a link in the comments for that. <laughs> yeah, put a lead and a comment. Um, but the D- DSA, they have a lot of chapters. Oh, was it? It's dsausa.org. It's good because it rhymes. Um, <laughs> uh, they have a lot of... Um, so they've been doing a lot of outreach to local communities, putting together a list of people who are available to either do, you know, kinds of grocery shopping type of stuff, like whatever kind of help they just, they've been uh, really working hard to 
to get like a roster of people who can volunteer or help with whatever whatever they can do so if you're also just trying to find out like how to help out in your local community dsa is a really great place to reach out to try to see if there's a local chapter um and then just contact you know the first person and just say how can i help they'll be sure to get you in the right direction i'd also recommend uh, personally if you're interested in labor and calling for you know uh, general strikes but also unionizing organizing um, and building co-ops in your local area to definitely also check out iww that's the international workers of the world basically calling for a general union worldwide for like all workers which obviously is completely antithetical to the whiteness and interest conversions there just to tie that all back together Mm-hmm. Another um, fun thing to uh, do is create an anonymous uh, use Twitter account and then just find the local representatives or people that you know <laughs> that are in elected office and then just tweet you racist asshole or something of that nature to them. <laughs> it's not exactly effective, but it'll make you feel good. <laughs> Maybe a little effective. We could pretend. <laughs> it's definitely self care for me. It's definitely self care. <laughs> Um, this is just like side note is there anything else we want to talk about or should we like wrap up the episode we're already at an hour I think Ray did you did you 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 had the video clip of like the lady in the bathtub did you want to comment about like play it and we can comment about it that's the thing about COVID-19 it doesn't care about how rich you are how famous you are how funny you are, how smart you are, where you live, how old you are, what amazing stories you can tell. It's the great equalizer. And what's terrible about it is what's great about it. What's terrible about it is it's made us all equal in many ways. Made us all equal. I missed the part where it was Madonna when you first mentioned it. And now I'm like, Oh, me too. Oh. I wonder what her net worth is, too. Like, I want to know what bath thing she used. You want to buy that? (laughs) Yeah, I need a jar of her Madonna bath. bath. Oh, like like that water. Like, did you hear about that? You know about that, right? Who was it, though? I forget who it was. That was selling their dead skin particles in warm water that's no longer warm. It's called raw water, okay? It helps me build my immunity. The uh, That Madonna video pretty much, to me, personifies the uh, white liberal tears. Literally. They kind of look like tears. Yeah. It's true. Yes. So that's it for this episode. <laughs> it's a good note on to that leave that note. on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's, so that's been our episode on um, critical race theory and, and COVID nineteen and bathwater. Um, uh, please, you know, reach out to those sources that we mentioned. Uh, we'll have links for you guys to um, help out where you can. Stay safe. Stay sane. Um, you know, 
try not to consume too much media if you can news media i would say um if you've listened this far i would say this is enough to probably get you going for a good while this is a pretty healthy dose i think of information um bathwater uh really want to emphasize that while we're not technically all in this together you're not always alone there are people who will help you um and people who will listen to you so do reach out uh do what you can take care of yourself and we will talk to you soon bye bye public public space travel Public space travel.